stand still, you weakling. Stand there and fight. I'd love to, Liz, but I'm just a bundle of nerves. Welcome back and welcome to season two, episode 20 of me and my friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production, the podcast where we explore all things the Amazing Spider-Man comic book series. I'm your host, Peter Parker's persnickety pal, Gerald. So, where are we? The last issue, put kindly, the lizard beat the crap out of Spider-Man, leaving our hero with a sprained arm. But... Spidey's not going to take his defeat lying down. Mostly. We've got a rematch between a one-armed sling king of swing from Far Sills, Queens and the would-be reptile overlord himself, the Lizard. To be sure, he still can't play for Shara. And we've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the amazing Spider-Man number 45. Spidey smashes out. Let's swing. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. The credits. The writer on this one is Stan The Manly. The artist is John Ringading Romita. That's the senior, with lettering by Sam Ham Rosen. And of course, the best imaginary six man in the business on web untangling, Irv Forbush. The cover. The cover of this masterpiece sees the amazing Spider-Man in Spidey costume red and blue on a goldenrod backdrop surrounded by spiders webbing. And you know, whenever we have goldenrod on the cover, we've got a slugfest on the interior. A slugfest that looks like it's going to start right here on the cover. As we see the lizard, stage right, his white leather lab coat and frayed purple slacks on, his skin as green as envy would dare to get, his tail curling out behind him, nearly as long as the length of the page, and he's bearing down on our hero, who's hunched stage right in a bright white light, his left arm in a makeshift sling that crosses his upper body like an X. Above his head, we get a scream caption box. One of the wildest of all Spidey's battles. And beneath the two, Spidey smashes out. Romita was working hard because this is probably the best image of the lizard I've seen so far. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Page one opens, as usual, to a goldenrod banner with THE Amazing Spider-Man inside. Beneath this, we get a white screen caption box with the title of this issue. Spidey smashes out. And beneath that, we've got THE Amazing Spider-Man in a full page spread, suited and booted, his left arm slung against his chest, his right arm out for balance as he tight ropes on a web line of his own design. At dusk, a large goldenrod circle next to him, giving us the deets from last issue. Last ish, we saw our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man injure his arm while battling the deadly lizard. But with his superpowered foe still at large, hoping to populate the entire world with an army of giant lizards, Spidey knows he dare not remain home nursing his wound, no matter what. Can't teach an old lizard new tricks, I suppose. He is still trying to take over the world with a lizard army. Look, I'd say you can't make this up, but somebody had to. Let's keep going, because Spidey's got some thoughts on the matter, too. Last time we fought, 
I wasn't able to stop those and with both arms, so now my task will be twice as dangerous. But I've got to try. That noise from around the corner sounds like trouble. One arm, no arm, six arms, the kid's got a job to do. He ain't going to be deterred. We turn the page. And the trouble? Page 2 opens to Spidey on his tightrope above an alley overlooking a delivery truck stopped in the middle of the street by a car parked horizontally in front of it. Two hijackers with guns drawn on the delivery driver. It's very good fellas Jimmy the Gent hijacking the truck. That's what I imagine here. And Spidey? I was right. That's a real old fashioned hijacking job if I ever saw one. The truck must be carrying some valuable furs or some such. <laughs> or some such. It's been a long while since we've seen Spidey give a bruising to the cruising Burba gang with a Heads up guys, it's party time! He leaps from his line, bounces off the hood of the delivery truck, and connects with a foot to each of the Burba gang members' faces, quipping that they're lucky he doesn't wear hobnailed boots. Those are boots with studded soles, to be sure. Both men's guns go clattering, but that doesn't stop their ridiculous dreams of grandeur. On the ground, toe-to-toe -to -toe with our hero, the burly Burba in a tan suit and pinstripe bumblebee shirt shouts, Look at him! He's got a busted wing! We can take him! Let's... <laughs> a moment before Spidey lays the man out with a right cross. The delivery guy, watching the scene, shouts for Spidey to look out as the second guy rushes our hero from behind and reaches Spidey just in time to catch a full-on uppercut. Before it's even really started, this fight is over. Spidey, glad he didn't have to expend too much effort, isn't lost on the fact that the Berbers are no lizard. The delivery guy, giving our hero a thumbs up, shouts that they could use him in the Teamsters Union. But Spidey, perennially scraping to make ends meet, replies, Sorry pal, the way things have been going, I couldn't even afford the dues. And shoots a web line to get out of there. And Paraphrase the International Brotherhood of Teamsters is a labor union in the United States and Canada formed in 1903 by the merger of the Team Drivers International Union and the Teamsters National Union. The union now represents a diverse membership of blue-collar and professional workers in both the public and private sectors, totaling about 1.3 million in 2015. The union was formally called the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Chauffeurs, Warehousemen, and Helpers of America. Thanks, Wikipedia! If you're a movie buff or from New York, both, if you're lucky, you're probably familiar with Jimmy Hoffa from the Scorsese-directed The Irishman, the corrupt president of the Teamsters who mysteriously vanished and is presumed dead. The movie hinting that he was done off by a mob driver turned assassin turned Hoffa's personal bodyguard turned Hoffa's personal assassin. It be your own people is what I'm getting at. Back to On three, we find Spidey back above the city, back on his tightrope with one goal on his mind. Gonna start searching for the lizard again. And with one arm out of action, it's easier to use a web bridge than to swing around town. Now I know how Daredevil feels when he skips along the telephone wires. Glad I remembered to pick up my camera from where I left it when I last fought the lizard. So Spidey's got his camera back and it's filled, filled with images of the lizard. He is about to make a killing on the Donuts and Dimes accounts because if you recall, JJ is dying for pictures of the lizard. The same JJ who could have had pictures of the lizard way back in an ASM number five, but refused to believe that the lizard was real and ripped up Pete's pics when Pete gave them to him. It be your own people is what I'm trying to say. Either way, I'm thinking the Donuts and Dimes account is about to be flush if he survives meanwhile on the other side of town in the laboratory apartment of dr curtis connors a sudden noise awakens his fitfully sleeping wife we find martha beneath her covers her head on a pillow as she grips it tightly listening to the scraping sound of the lab window being forced open she knows it's the lizard but smartly doesn't dare confront him and the lizard 
He's crawling through the window of his alter ego's lab, monologuing. And we learn... This is the laboratory where Connors keeps all his serums and chemicals. I'll find what I need in here. We told you last-ish that the lizard is unaware that he actually is Dr. Kurt Connors. Remember? So the lizard is a lot like the early years Hulk, who had no idea that he and Puny Banner were the same person. Only a weird feeling that the scientist was always trying to kill him. This is that in reverse. The lizard is trying to kill Kurt Connors if he ever meets him. Either way, we see now that the lizard is going to get sciency. Meanwhile, Martha snuck into Billy's room and is watching over her sleeping son as the lizard slinks through the laboratory, his scaly profile highlighted in the window to the door of Billy's room, as Martha looks on, thinking, My worst fears have come true. He is the lizard, once again. I know he wouldn't harm Billy or me, but what is he looking for? I pray he isn't after that same deadly lizard formula again. But why does she think he wouldn't harm her? I mean, well, she knows her man, a lizard man. In the final panel, a contestant for the panel of the week to be sure, we see the lizard cramming. A book open on the desk in front of him, he skims through its pages, screaming. I've got to find Connor's notes. The formula which transformed me into a human lizard must be here somewhere. Once I find it, I'll be able to drop it into swamp waters everywhere. Waters containing countless millions of crawling reptiles. In just a matter of hours, I'll have a lizard army. Mighty enough to conquer all of mankind. Get a new song already. Sheesh. And he does. But then, moments later. Page 4 opens to the lizard flinging the heavy tome of a book into the vials and beakers of the lab in frustration. The lizard may be strong. The lizard may be fast. But the lizard ain't too bright. It's no use. I can't understand any of this stupid scientific gibberish. The pages contain nothing but chemical symbols, numbers, equations. What good is that to me? I'll find another way. I'll do it without his notes. I've got the strength, the power to accomplish anything. So the lizard's in a catch-22. Only as Kurt Connors does he understand the science behind what he hopes to accomplish. But in becoming the lizard, the man-monster has lost all understanding of the science involved in making an army of himself. I'm starting to think the guy's transformations come with diminishing returns on working memory and overall intelligence. Want proof? All I have to do is find Connors himself. I'll force him to give me the formula before I destroy him. While back at the moonlit room, Billy is sitting bolt upright in fear, wondering aloud what the noise he heard outside of his room was. Martha, walking over to the kid, says the wind blew some of the beakers over in the lab, but she's closed the windows, so Billy doesn't need to worry. She sits down on the bed and takes her son in her arms in the final panel, stroking Billy's hair, her eyes fixed on some faraway point we can't see, lost in thought. I feel so alone, so helpless. My own dear wonderful husband, transformed into a living monster. Whom can I turn to? What can I do? How can I protect Billy from knowing the truth? If only I knew where to find Spider-Man. Billy, as if reading her mind, stares off in the same direction Martha does, asking, Mom, did you ever feel scared without knowing why? All the time, Billy. All the time. It's called dread. Welcome to the world. The next morning, at the office of the Daily Bugle, we find... So we're at 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown, Limestone Building. You can't miss it. Where we find Foswell putting on his signature brown fedora, heading towards the door of the bullpen. 
as he had it. His curiosity about how Pete comes up with all the exclusive Spider-Man photos getting the better of him, Foswell's thinking about darning his Thule disguise, and as Patch, tailing Peter. But JJ, cigar chomped in mouth, comes around the corner at precisely this moment. Is he tirading? Is the Met the largest art museum in the Western Hemisphere? Wait, what? Of course he's tirading! Where in blazes do you think you're going? I'm not running a blasted travel agency around here. Foswell says he's heading out to pick up leads, you know, doing his job as a reporter. But JJ won't have it. He tells the man to dig up information on the lizard instead, before rounding on Ned Leeds and Betty Brant, minding their own businesses at Betty's desk. What's with you two again? How many times do I have to tell you to make your blame wedding plans on your own time? Ned tells JJ Betty was on a break. Then Betty tells JJ Ned is on a break. Then JJ, hand to his forehead, pivots straight into his usual woe is me talks. When Ned whispers that the man is a hypocrite and soft-headed, Betty tells him to shush that they can't afford to be fired right now. They're planning a wedding after all. Now, back to our list. We'll have to invite Peter Parker. But at this particular time, Mr. Parker has other, less romantic matters to concern him. Pete, gripping his injured left arm with his right, stares at his spidey suit draped over a chair, realizing he's got a problem. Namely, everyone in the city knows Spidey's got his arm in a sling, so if anyone he knows sees him, as Pete, with an injury, they could put two and two together that the wall crawler and the goldenrod kid are one and the same. After trying to look casual by sliding his hand into his pocket and failing, Pete throws a sling around his arm in the gutter between panels, shouting that he'll bluff his way through this predicament in the next panel. That instead of hiding indoors like a coward, he'll just tell everyone he fell off his cycle. And that's a good plan, to be sure. He gets dressed, grabs his books, and walking past his newly painted cherry red cycle in the front yard of his home, decides to take the bus downtown. Later, at the campus of good old ESU, Pete, SJB suit on, strolls towards two of ESU's in-crowd, Flash, Fashion on trash, Thompson in a burgundy suit, and Robin's egg blue turtleneck. Trash! And Harry waves on Swim Osborne in a black suit, green bow tie. Flash, of course, wastes no time insulting Pete on his injury, actually saying, Will you look at that, Harry? It's Puny Parker with his arm in a sling. What you trying to do, useless? Make us think you're Spider-Man? Harry says if the kid is, he's doing it the hard way. Pete, clever as they come in the final panel, replies, very funny, group. Almost as funny as spraying your arm on driving a cycle. Harry and Flash take the bait. Flash in particular suns Pete and tells our friend he belongs on a tricycle. On six, no Flash, winking at Pete and Harry, spins off saying he's going to get a coffee with Gwen. While Harry tells Pete that Gwen invited him to a party she's throwing to celebrate Flash being drafted. Pete says he'd love to come, but asks why the heartthrob didn't invite him herself. Harry tells Pete to face facts. Since MJ's come along, Pete hasn't been coming around. The two stroll towards the ESU campus, and Pete sets the record straight. But it's not just Mary Jane's fault. Sending my Aunt May away for a vacation took all the money I had, and I've been keeping kind of busy trying to sell Jameson some new picks. The kid's broke, baby, and he gotta work because he broke. Harry, showing hints of being a good guy, tells Pete his dad's a chemist and could use a brain like Pete as a part-time helper. Pete says that's a nice offer and that he'll think about it. And instead of thinking about it, which he really should, because Harry's dad, Norman Osborn, is, if you recall, one of Spidey's greatest villains, the Green Goblin, Pete instead thinks about Gwen, looming large in his thought bubbles, his mind going a mile a minute. I'm trying to take Harry's dad up on that, but I too many things to take care of first. I bet I don't see Mary Jane nearly as much as Gwen thinks I do. It's funny the way I keep thinking of Gwen, even though I've never really dated him. Mary Jane always seems to pop up between us. Pete, I'm not gonna hold you. That sounds like good problems. Meanwhile, 
At a quiet seashore resort, we find the other female in Peter Parker's life, recuperating from her recent illness. May, sitting in a beach chair, is writing letters before another guest, gripping a paper with a headline that reads, Lizard menaces New York! Tells May it must be terrible living in New York with the lizard running around. May, despite mentioning Pete, for once, doesn't worry about him. Smiling over her shoulder in the next panel, she tells the woman, Thank heaven he's not like those other wild teenagers one is always reading about. He's probably at home right now, curled up with a good book and a glass of warm milk. And I've just realized I always do May as if she's in Downton Abbey. Well, my best impression of Downton Abbey. I don't know why. Just the way she's drawn to me, her physical appearance, gives me Downton Abbey vibes. So, if she's a little bit British, or at least bad British, you gotta deal with it. Welcome to the show. The woman replies, no wonder May's proud. But, sooner or later, a fellow finishes his good book, and a glass of warm milk can't last forever. And then, with a deadly supervillain on the loose, sooner or later it gets to be web-swinging time once more. For the record, warm milk is disgusting, right? I'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum. That's a yuck for me, though. That's a, in the words of Randy, that's a no for me, dog. Anyway, Spidey suited and booted, his left arm in a sling, his right arm gripping a web line as he swings above the city we know and love. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack, but I can't stop searching. So long as the lizard is still free, every man, woman, and child is in danger. So, you can say it, Spidey's on the prowl. And on seven, the hunt begins in earnest. Spidey, back on his web-made tightrope, high above the city, is going to a tried-and-true tracking process. Namely, I don't have to actually sight him. If I manage to get anywhere near him, my spider sense is sure to tingle. But, as the long, wearisome hours of searching wear on, we find Spidey beneath the city in the sewers next, letting us and no one know that he searched all around the city in places he thought the lizard might be and still hasn't spotted the man-monster. Finally... Spidey heads to the borough I know and love, namely the Bronx, specifically the largest metropolitan zoo by area in the United States, the Bronx Zoo. Outside of the House of Reptiles, he stares at the signage balanced on lines of webbing, still out of luck. Of course, that must be what kept him in town. The train fulfilling leaves in an hour. If I hurry, I can still make it. If you're confused, here's what the sign says. Last day, exhibit. World's largest collection of reptiles will next be seen at Exhibition Hall in Philadelphia. Right to Reptile Research Foundation for free exhibit schedule. Spidey, fist clenched in triumph, is back in the game. He makes his way to the train station. Then, exactly 48 minutes later, Spidey web slinging above a rail yard that I can only guess is Penn Station, has his Spidey sense finally kick in. We turn the page and we're on the Infinity, infinity, page. infinity page. Page 8. Just in time to witness Spidey mid-leap, right arm outstretched towards a crouching lizard. The man-monster shouts, Spider-Man! And we've got action. Spidey replies, You know it, mister. A moment before slamming his right fist, then the entire right half of his body into the lizard's gut. The two tumble to the ground in the space between panels, and Spidey, thinking he's got to keep pressing the attack, snaps the lizard's head back with a right, wondering how he's going to beat someone who doesn't feel his punches while only punching with one hand. <laughs> Good question. He's going to have to think of something, because nine opens too. Then, as if in answer to Spidey's silent question, and the King of Swing is sent reeling from the prone lizard's tail. I love this panel. Another contender for panel of the week. Train cars in the background, the lizard's propped himself up on his right arm and is laying like he's just rolled over from a nap. Spidey almost put him into sleepy time. 
Spidey is reeling. The lizard shouts the usual. You brainless bumbling fool. You had two arms and couldn't beat me. What do you think was going to happen this time? Spidey, Jor North, the last position you want to be in in a fight, crashes to the ground in the next panel. Meanwhile, to answer his own question, the lizard rips a steel rail from the tracks behind him, screaming. This time, you want to escape me alive. I'll see to it that you never interfere with me again. But imagine a Spider-Man just letting someone pummel them with a steel rod. <laughs> Not this one. Spidey leaps to his feet in the gutter between panels and punches the lizard square in the gut. So hard the lizard's eyes open wide in pain. But Spidey still can't give up his sentimentality. I did, I did it. it. I made him I made drop the piece of rail. But the odds are still on, on his side. side. I can't stop myself from pulling my punches. Knowing he's really Kurt Connors. But... The lizard has no such scruples as he strikes back with every iota of power he possesses. Lizard clubs Spidey full force with both of his massive fists on the back of the head, buckling our hero to open page 10 before lifting Spidey off his feet. And Spidey is in a bad way. Everything spinning around can't break free in time. Have to stay limp. Prepare for impact. Listen, land on a weak arm. The lizard, shouting Spidey's powers are a joke, throws the web slinger into the side of a train car, shattering the door. But Spidey has managed to do what he set out to and has gone limp, eating the blow. On one knee in the final panel, Spidey wonders what the lizard's doing now. The lizard, he's climbed the sheer wall of a train car and kicks the door in with one of his massive feet. On 11, he moves a few feet down to the next train car and smashes the door of that car open with his scaly right fist. As Spidey looks on in shock, reptiles start pouring from the train cars, spotted snakes, gators, crocodiles. As the lizard, his ability to control reptiles on full display, orders the creatures to destroy our hero. Spidey shouts that this is what lizard was after all along, the reptiles. But you knew that, Spidey. That's why you came to the train depot. Of course, they're the start of my future army, an army of billions which can enslave or destroy all of mankind. Spidey, at a loss for words, is deep in his own thoughts. He's too far gone to remember that his own wife and son are among those he wants to destroy. But I've no time to worry about that now. I've only got seconds to figure out how to handle all this and save myself. His power is uncanny. The reptiles actually obey him. No wonder he thinks his insane plan can succeed. The lizard, his right hand stressed towards Spidey, shouts that no reptiles will ever be safe as long as Spider-Man lives and orders them to attack the hero, telling him Spidey can't escape all of them. <laughs> Just for the record, these reptiles are compelled by whatever mumbo-jumbo that gives the lizard control over reptiles, so it's asinine for the lizard to use this as an argument for them to destroy him. But, lizard brain, what you gonna do? In Spidey's case, get busy. His right fist doesn't work. Spidey goes to the left shooter to open 12, webbing up the maw of the crocodile closest to him, thinking there isn't enough web fluid in the world to stop them all as the lizard orders his lizard army to attack faster and more furious and overwhelm our hero with sheer numbers. But I just realized all of these reptiles were in this train heading to Philadelphia, right? Why were they not in crates? Lizard just kicked in a door, he kicked in a couple of doors, and reptiles just started pouring out. Whoever planned the transit of these animals from New York to Philadelphia needs to be fired. They need to be sued by the union, but then they need to be fired because this is a dangerous thing. I, why does this even make, it's comic books. I'm letting it go, I'm coming on. But, since our prime purpose is entertainment, 
Let's turn to pleasanter matters for just a brief moment or two as we visit the home of Mrs. Anna Watson. Where we find MJ, the girl who only has fun in a black, purple, and teal tight-fitting dress and her signature white jacket at the kitchen door talking to her Aunt Anna, who's making dinner. MJ, always on the go, tells Anna she's heading to Ville a go-go that if the Beatles call, tell them she won't be long. Anna, a piping hot pot in her hands, asks MJ to walk with her next door. She just made some vegetable soup for a one Peter Parker. The Goldenrod kid has an embarrassment of riches when it comes to people doting on him. MJ says she's headed in that direction, so she'll go. Anna, of the same mind as May, uses the walk to talk our friend Pete up hard. I'm so glad you and Peter are friends. He's the nicest boy, and Miss Parker is my dearest friend. MJ, taking a seat on a stool, wraps her arm around her leg, saying, He's just the least little bit square, but outside of that, he really turns me on. I'll bet he'd be a real swinger if he let himself go. MJ, the kid's quite literally the king of swing. He lets himself go on the regular. However, a few minutes later, Anna is dejected to find that Pete isn't home. She says he doesn't seem the type to go out at night. And MJ reminds her that there's no reason he wouldn't. The kid walks, talks, and breathes, so why not? He's human. She says she's got a dash, but if she runs into the guy, she'll tell him what he's missed. But the way things look right now, Peter Parker would probably be the last one Mary Jane or anybody would run into at a discotheque. Spidey, a croc webbed up at his feet, battles with a large purple snake with his right hand as the snake wraps around his left leg, thinking that the lizard actually has a good plan. Spidey's going to be so exhausted by the time he's done dealing with all these reptiles, the lizard will be able to finish him off rather easily. But you know that won't stop our hero. In the final panel, snakes, well... Snaking up his left leg, the purple snake still gripped in his right hand. He stands on his tiptoes, fighting them off. But I can't give up. There's a lot more at stake than just the life of one part-time webhead. More crocs coming. If I can just dislodge this overgrown earthworm in time. In the gutter between pages, Spidey's managed to rinse the purple snake from his thigh and using it as a bullwhip, snaps it out in front of him where it connects with the nearest croc and wraps around its torso. Eat your heart out, Montana. As the lizard shouts for his army to look out, Spidey yanks the croc towards himself in the gutter between panels and manages to grab the large reptile by the tail in the next. Got it! Okay, hang on, little friend. You're gonna do the work of a second arm for me. If this don't work, there's always the... Get your hand back? Because Spidey starts swinging this crocodile back and forth like a cricket bat, smashing it into other crocs, smashing it on top of snakes, kicking up dust, and this... Our panel of the week. All the while thinking, it's working. By using the croc as a giant whip, I'm able to hold the rest of them at bay. But I can't keep it up forever. I've still got to find a way to beat the lizard. Only then will the reptile danger be ended. Uh-oh, I don't get it. He's signaling the others back. Back into the train. Now what's he up to? In the final panel, Spidey stares over his shoulder, unconscious crocodiles at his feet, snakes coiled around them all, just chaos, dust settling, and the train beginning to kick up dust as Spidey realizes the train is moving while the lizard leaps onto the side of a boxcar. I've wasted enough time on you, Spider-Man. I'll take my pets back to the swampland where they'll help me recruit millions more. Then even you won't be able to stop me. But the game's afoot. It's 14 opens to Spidey, agility on, best ever. Leaping towards the train, grabbing a ladder as the locomotive picks up speed. Oh no, I've seen this through too far to let myself be pushed out now. This has got to be the end of the line, Liz. 
for one of us. The Lizards game, he lets Spidey mount the top of the train and lashes out with another wicked swing of his fifth appendage, snapping Spidey's head back again, shouting if one of them's gotta lose, it won't be him. But our hero's made of sterner stuff. He goes with the blow, swings around the ladder, and connects with the Lizard's jaw with both feet. Now, it's the Lizard's jaw north, and our hero with the momentary upper hand, realizing that he's not gonna beat the Lizard with strength alone, He's going to get the former doctor to follow him because he's finally, finally figured out a plan. Landing on top of the boxcar in the next panel, he begins quipping as only he can. Come on, Liz. If you're as great as you're saying, what are you waiting for? None of us is getting any younger, you know. <laughs> the lizard, pissed, pushes up from his back and grabbing the roof of the boxcar with both hands, wrenches the metal from the top like balsa wood, hurling it at our hero to open 15, urging the king of swing to stand and fight. Spidey refuses, choosing to turn and run instead. In a gorgeous panel of the two racing along the top of the train, our hero in the lead, our villain on his tail. Black, blue, shadows, lights, just racing past. It's gorgeous to look at. The lizard, incensed, he follows Spidey into the next panel where our hero lifts the hatch of a boxcar and with a backwards glance at the approaching lizard, leaps inside. Enraged, the lizard follows him in. You've outsmarted yourself at last. I'll never let you leave here alive. I don't know where you're hiding, but I've all the time in the world to find you. And this time, I'll finish you off forever. But the King of Swing ain't only a pretty fist. In the final panel, shades of cobalt blue, white, and black, frost covering pipes lining the walls as Spidey reveals he was clinging to the roof of the car and slams it shut behind him, dropping into the room behind the lizard, thinking, this is my last gamble. If it doesn't work, I'm a goner. And I'm sure the lizard is thinking shades of General Lockbar. It's a trap. 16 opens to Spidey leaping towards the lizard and punching the monster in the neck. I've got to keep him too busy to think. If he realizes where he is, he could escape by smashing through the wall of the car. Even though I can't really hurt him, my punches can still drive him back. Keep him groggy. I need only a few more minutes. For once, time is on my side. Spidey follows this up with another right across the jaw. But the lizard shambles towards the far wall of the boxcar in the gutter between panels, putting space between himself and the wall crawler, prompting our hero to think, I can't keep dodging his tail at such close quarters. This is the payoff. Translation? It's time for the showdown. The lizard shouts he's going to destroy Spidey and swings that tail again. But Spidey dodges easily this time, thinking his gamble has paid off. The lizard, realizing aloud that he's growing weak, tries to rush Spidey with both hands raised, shouting, Watch! happening to me. I'm growing weak, but I've still got power enough to finish you. Spidey replies. Think so? I don't. You've got one little fact. One fact that meant the difference between victory or defeat. Lizards flourish in warm temperatures, but extreme cold, such as you'll find in a refrigerator car, is the one thing that will weaken a big bad Lazertillian reptile. Tisk, I wish you wouldn't fall asleep while I'm lecturing you. This fight is over. 17 opens to Spidey webbing the lizard up in an insulated cocoon, realizing that if he doesn't get the would-be overlord back to Connor's lab before the villain warms up again, they'll be back to trading blows. He grabs the emergency stop wire above his head and seconds later, Spidey exits the train car with the bundle of lizard draped over his shoulder, talking to the conductor of the train and his assistant in the next panel. All I'm asking you to do is flag down the train heading back to New York. A man's life depends on my reaching there within the hour. And so... On a train rocketing back towards New York, 
Spidey's mind races as he thinks he's going to have to find a formula that can turn the lizard back into Kirk Connors, and he's lucky it's the evening because there's less of a chance anyone will stop him. Back in the city in the next panel, our hero scales the sheer wall of the building housing Connors' lab and creeps inside, hoping the lizard stays unconscious long enough for Spidey to get science while at the same time realizing the lizard's trashed his laboratory. Our hero grabs a broom and gets the place cleaned up in the gutter between panels before placing the body of the lizard on a counter in the next. He grabs a clipboard and I'm thinking our hero's got a bit of a concussion because reading, he says, This is what I want. Up at the lab got wrecked when the scorpion looked for the same notes, only to realize he couldn't understand them even if he found them. The scorpion? Our hero needs a rest. Stan Lee probably needed a rest at that time. But you know what they say about the weary because seconds later, there's a pounding on the door. In the next panel, Billy behind her, we see Martha Connors furiously banging on said door screaming. Is that you, Curtis? Are you all right? Have, have you come home again? Curtis, answer me. Why won't you answer? Billy says maybe it isn't that. Maybe it's someone else. Spidey, mixing a serum in the final panel, knows it would be crazy if Martha and Billy walked in this room and the lizard woke up. It's Spider-Man, Mrs. Connors. Don't try to open the door now. Trust me. I, I'm trying to help. Don't want to build up her homes in case it doesn't work. Also, it's too dangerous for her here. The lizard might throw out before I'm ready. Told you. Spidey stalked things into existence because 18 opens with our hero looking over his shoulder at a wiggling cocoon. It's about to be a major problem in a moment. Pouring a serum into a round bottom flask as he looks over his shoulder, our hero is monologuing something fierce. Uh-oh. He's starting to stir. When his full strength returns, he'll be able to snap that wedding like it isn't there. This formula has to be right. The first time. Because I'm not going to get a second chance. The serum finished. Spidey races over to the lizard and forces the potion down his throat. The good deed done, Spidey takes a step back, bracing for round three as the lizard squirms on the makeshift operating table. He's fully revived now. But have I seen Kirk Connors or merely brought back the lizard to menace us all? Wild. Outside the silent lab, a heartsick mother and her youthful son also wait and wonder. His mother's arm wrapped around him. Billy wonders why Spidey won't open the door if he says he's trying to help. Martha says she doesn't know, but she trusts the webhead and tells her son all they can do is wait and hope a moment before the door opens. Spidey, the hero who put himself between the people in the danger, bruised, beaten, bandaged arm, pulls the door wide to reveal Kirk Connors once more in brand new clothes. And Billy is style flared. He is wearing a hot pink suit. A suit he races towards his father in shouting, Dad! As Martha follows a step behind, thanking the heavens. In the final panel, the family embrace each other as Spider-Man looks on. Kurt, all smiles, gives thanks. Spidey, this is the second time you, well, you know what you've done for me. How will I ever find the words to say? But Spidey doesn't do it for the applause. He replies, Why not just try saying goodbye? I get the feeling I'm not going to be needed around here any longer. Translation? Curry power! You already know the rest. Another Mighty Marvel first. Knowing how titanically talented our righteous readers are, we're leaving this panel for you to write your own dialogue. If you can get someone to play hearts and flowers softly in the background, it won't do a bit of harm either. His good deed done, Spidey leaps out of the window, web swinging away to open 19. Everybody has an empty speech bubble here, so I imagine a conversation went something like this. Connors, you know I'm just going to do this again, Spider-Man. I'm addicted to the power. Martha, it's true. He clearly doesn't care about us more than himself. Billy, what do you guys 
guys talking about? Spider-Man. The least you know, the better, kid. But suffice the saying, your dad's a certified nun. A That's what he may have said! Bent and weary. Almost to the point of exhaustion, a thoughtful youth slowly, laboriously struggles into his street clothes once more, and then listlessly wins his way homeward. We find our friend Pete in an alley, his head lowered. I'm almost sorry it's all over now. At least while I was fighting the lizard, I didn't have time to think about my own personal problems. That arachnotherapy comes in handy. Minutes later, we see Pete walking down the street in one direction as Cosmic and Comic Timing put Harry Osborn driving past him in the opposite direction in a white drop top convertible. But the kid ain't alone. Riding shotgun is none other than the embodiment of Girls Just Wanna Have Fun herself, Mary Jane Watson. Harry says hi, but Pete, exhausted, doesn't hear Harry at all. MJ, not one to be ignored, chimes in. Heads up, Dad, in case you haven't heard the human race is one more opening if you get your application in fast. Pete, finally noticing, looks up. Hmm? Oh, hi, Mary Jane. And Harry? I uh, must have been daydreaming. MJ calls him the one-man fog. Harry asks if he needs a lift. When Pete says no, MJ takes it on the chin. Then rev her up, Harry boy. See ya, Petey. We're wheeling where the action is. Little does she know, the action is wherever Pete is if she hangs out with the kid long enough. Of course, Pete walks right into his feelings as the two speed away. What a prize chump I am for worrying when I have to break a date with Mary Jane. If you recall, he broke a date with Mary Jane last issue. Looks like she couldn't care less, long as she's got a Joan who'll take her where she wants to go. No doubt about it, that chick's as pretty as a pumpkin seed, but just about as shallow. And I never realized how icky it can be listening to a gal who's on all the time. Or maybe it's my fault. I'm just trying to blame my blue funk on her. You're definitely trying to blame your blue funk on her because she was a party girl when you met her and it's one of the things you liked about it. So it sounds to me, Spidey, like you should deal. In the final panel, Pete walking down the street in Forest Hills falls headlong, as he often does, into his feelings. It's almost time to make the next payment for Aunt May's vacation. And I didn't get a single picture of the lizard that I can sell. That's for that last batch of pics I shot. I never did develop them in their ancient history by now anyway. And just wait till Aunt May comes home in a few days and sees my arm in her sling. She'll worry herself sick every time I get on my bike again. On top of everything else, there's my studies. I was supposed to be spending the past days boning up with all the work I've missed. How will I ever catch up now? Going through it. But I just want to say, if your pictures of the lizard are old, nobody will know that. You just fought the lizard right now. It still counts. This is a dumb thought process, Pete. But you got all those brains and no experience. You'll learn. The Donuts and Dimes account's got to suffer right now for it, though. Back to you. Speaking as someone who's knee-deep in a master's program, trying to pump out podcasts, sustain a relationship, pay bills, and find time to write, I can say, as I often do, I relate, Pete. I relate. But if you keep going, I can too. Tony opens too. Then, just as the brooding youth reaches his front door, we find Anna Watson carrying a meal on a literal silver platter behind Pete as he enters his home. She says she brought him something to eat, and she's willing to do his laundry for him because she promised May she would. Embarrassment of riches this kid has before she notices Pete's long arm. She wonders a lot if she should let May know, but Pete talks her out of it. She leaves in the gutter between panels, and Pete sets her food down on the vestibule table in the next, monologuing about how he can't tell May he sprained his arm fighting a lizard, and he doesn't even feel like eating now. He reads into the bedroom, and his sadness is replaced by anger as he snaps! Every problem I have is caused by my being Spider-Man. 
If I was just plain Peter Parker, I wouldn't have to break dates right and left. I'd have time for studying and wouldn't have to feel guilty whenever Aunt May asked me something. I'd even be able to take that job with Harry's dad and earn a steady income. Plopping down on his bed, he lowers his head. Why do I do it? Why do I continue risking my life, causing a thousand unnecessary problems, a thousand heartaches, and sleepless nights? Have I an insane lust for power? I need to feel more important than those around me? Or is it something deeper, more frightening? Has Spider-Man become so much a part of me that I can never lose him again? But I think this moment shows that he's not obsessed with power. He puts himself between the people in danger because he has to, not because he's power hungry. You have a choice though, Pete. It's up to you what comes next. And in another apartment, in another section of the city, the mood is somewhat different. We find the Connors household all smiles. Kurt and Martha sitting in a love seat, Billy standing beside them, his arms folded and propped on a who knows what, cause I don't know what that is. Maybe a pillow, it could be a pillow. And they don't share Pete's summation of Spider-Man at all. If only there were some way I could repay Spider-Man for all he's done for us. If there were something I could do for him in return. Wouldn't that be one for the books, Dad? Imagine us doing something to help Spider-Man. I feel the same way, Kurt, dear, but it's so futile. After all, Spider-Man is so powerful, so self-sufficient. What else could he possibly need from anyone else? A person like him probably has everything a man could wish for. If she only knew. In the final panel, we get a screen caption box that reads, Next, Peter Parker's pad. Pete's moving out. And so are we because we're out. Pete, as usual, going through it. His losses are beginning to pile up, and for as much as he loves web swinging, being Spidey is becoming too much. He's headed towards a seminal moment in the Spider-Man mythos, and only time will tell how he responds to it. But pressure busts pipes or makes diamond, so the diamond in the rough is gonna have to figure it out. Stan, working as usual, but big Johnny Romita, that's the senior, outdid himself. The fight atop the train was beautiful to look at. I tried to close my eyes and imagine what it would be like to see this in live action, and I know, spectacular, storyboarding king, Big Johnny Romita. Next episode, we've got Spidey versus a brand new, well, in context of this podcast, brand new villain, as we get the first appearance of The Shocker. That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode, but there is more Me and My Friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you sign up to patreon.com slash HSPP in the Key Keeper or High Council tiers, patrons have a vault filled with bonus episodes covering comic book stories from all over the multiverse of comic book universes. Next bonus episode, we're back in Marvel's House of Ideas covering one of my favorite heroes in his current run, Moon Knight, Volume 9, Number six, I'll let the official synopsis speak for itself. Beaten, bloody, his world burning down around him. This was how the Moon Knight was born, and now it's happening all over again. Outmaneuvered, outgunned, outplanned, Moon Knight's mysterious enemy has strode out of the shadows to strike. And when this villain strikes, they strike true. At the mercy of a maniac, will Moon Knight die yet again? (laughs) When I tell you it's a great one, Don't believe me, just watch. If you become a patron before ASM number 50, you receive a thank you gift from me and my friend Pete for being a patron during season two. Let's keep these good times rolling. You won't regret it. You got questions? Send them to me and my friend Pete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Follow us on Instagram at MNMFP underscore podcast. 
The panel of the week can be found at patreon.com slash HSPP. Thank you so much to all our patrons. We couldn't do it without you and we wouldn't want to if we could. Thank you to everyone who listens. We would do it without you, but we couldn't if we did. Wait, what? I don't know, man. It sounded good. All that said, that's all that said. Please like, please comment, please share, please take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. That dusty trails are calling, so there's no use stalling, and you know the tagline for the people. <laughs> Great power. <laughs> Baby, you gotta make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.